Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. How are you? How's it going? Uh, doing as well as can possibly be. How about you? Doing okay. Still quarantined, so still doing these Zoom calls and still futzing with the audio. Uh, we're talking with Doug Cosmo Clifford of CCR. Doug- renowned, renowned drummer, Doug Cosmo Clifford. Yes, a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band Creedence Clearwater Revival. The audio is uh, sketchy a little bit, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna play with it. Please uh, tolerate uh, and uh, try to boost it up as much as possible. And I, it's, uh, it was actually a really good good talk with, with Doug. So let's get started. Fun with to talk it. to a legend, another legend. It is always fun to talk to a legend. This was our first Rock and Roll Hall of Fame guest, right? I believe it was. Okay, so hopefully let- we'll have more more to come. Sorry. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, let's get started with Doug. So how are you? How are you holding up? How are you faring? It's been uh, a real busy time, you know, in, just in history and the well-being of the planet and everybody in it. I've been hanging on to that pretty well, uh, and I think a, a little of that has just just caught me off guard. And, and when that when that happens, you know, in, in these times, I went exactly backwards on my my schedule. So <laughs> <laughs> we're here now. No worries. Yeah. I'm ready to go. Can we call you Cosmo? You can. Nice. <laughs> Love it. You know him as he's uh, he's the drummer of CCR, Credence Clearwater Revival. Uh, it's a band he started with his friends, Stu Cook, Tom Fogarty, and John Fogarty. Um, ever since hi- junior high, you guys were in this band? Junior high. That's amazing. Except Tom was uh, four years older than we were. <laughs> Uh, we, uh, so that was awkward. Uh, that must have been awkward for a while when you're, you're uh, a high schooler playing with these junior high kids. Well, you know, uh, it came out of necessity, really. Tom had a plan to uh, uh, teach. He was in a band called Spiderweb and the Insects. He was the lead singer. And <laughs> nice they were, title. They were, really, they were really good, but they're prototypical musicians, unfortunately, uh, because Tom's plan was to learn a couple songs, which he had, record them, and then get in his car, drive to L.A., and try and shop for a deal. That's pretty way ahead of thinking for a guy from the town that we grew up in and who was only 18 years of age. And it was overwhelming for his band because they said, well, are we getting paid? And Tom said, no, I'm paying for everything, the session, gas, food, when I go down there, any any expenses, it's on me. And they, this is the beauty. Uh, said, are there going to be any chicks there? <laughs> chicks. No, it's a recording session and it's our future. And this is another beauty. They said, we'd rather work on our cars. Enter enter the Blue Velvets, uh, this little uh, trio, instrumental trio that we had. And quite honestly, Tom was uh, a big supporter of us uh, when we were doing sock hops in the gym and that sort of thing. He would come by our gigs when he could and and uh, give us support and and since there was nobody singing he would sing a song or two give us uh, you know he, he was a, a genuine uh, cool guy i wish my my brother was anywhere near this guy hmm. so uh the, the the band said no and tom comes to us and said would you guys back me up in the, in the studio and we said make a record and he said yeah and we said, are you kidding me so we, we were into it we were about 14 and uh, we had this a pact that we had, had uh, as the trio, and that was to someday have our, our songs played on the radio. That was our goal, right, when, when we were 13. Mm. 
uh, 52 years later and they're still playing our songs. So that's another story. <laughs> so anyway, we started the process of going in, learning to play our instruments together and then uh, going into the studio and, and being a recording unit. So we were, that's what gives you know, Credence its unique sound, the transformation and the, the growth and all those things. It took us 10 years going in and recording and doing, getting a little better each time, but it took us 10 years before we had our first hit. So uh, perseverance was also in our resume. <laughs> and then it hit with a vengeance. That's unique in that you were interested in recording and not playing shows. Is that is that the case? You didn't necessarily want to play your high school or, or clubs or what was what was going on? It, you wanted to record like hit songs. Is that true? We, we, we really did, and, and we were driven by it. And uh, when uh, we uh, progressed a little further and, and decided we better have a set, a, you know, a band like the Beatles, so Stu switched from piano to bass, and uh, Tom uh, picked up the rhythm guitar, one of the best rhythm guitar players, by the way, that I've ever played with. Uh, I, I sure, sure missed him when he was gone. Mm. So you're saying he covered the cost of that whole first recording. You were 13, he was seven or 14 and 18, and he paid for this album, for this recording for the whole band. Yeah, he did. And, and, and he would do that when he had to and sign funky deals with funky little companies that had maybe a four track machine or something. And, uh, would give us uh, an, a chance to make a record and they, they had the rights to put it out. And we started early on down that trail. That's pretty resourceful. <laughs> I alluded to it uh, earlier. Yeah. I mean, very impressive. And it's part, you know, Tom was really the heart and soul of the band. He was the singer, right, right at the boss. We could count on him. It was almost like having, having a, a big brother who uh, had kids. And, and that was, that was Tom. He was like a, a brother, father, just a, a great friend. Mm. Everyone needs a Tom in their life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, so this was this was Tom's vision uh, um, initially. John was how many? Like a few years younger. We were uh, all four years younger. The three of you were the same age in the same same grade, seventh yeah. grade. <laughs> uh, where where was it you grew up? Elsewhere. Well, I, I nowhere actually. Because I haven't, I haven't grown up yet. But uh, <laughs> yes, silly little, question. Little growing up humor there. Uh, El Cerrito, a little uh, bedroom community in the East Bay uh, of the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, nothing fancy there. I mean, there, there was uh, the, the caste system. Highlanders were the the well-to-do folks, and Flatlanders were the, the lunch pail and greasy uh, rag uh, <laughs> in your pockets shirt. We have that here in the San Fernando Valley. There's the the south side, the rich side, and then there's the north side. So we're, <laughs> so we're the north siders here. What was the song? Was there one song? Usually there's a moment when you realize, oh, we we actually have something here. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a hit. Maybe it wasn't a hit song. Maybe you were jamming sometime. Maybe it was something in the studio. Was there a time where it's like, oh, things are clicking here. This this might be something. Well, uh most of that came from the recording side. And I thought we had, well, we did have a regional hit called Brown Eyed Girl, not the, uh, the, the one by Van Morrison, but it was written by John and Tom. It went to number one in San Jose and number one in Sacramento. 
and around the you know the, the burbs in the Bay Area. And someplace in Florida was number one. And anyway, we we had a, a, a taste of hearing our song on, on the radio. Stu and I, at the time, were going to San Jose State University, and we're in San Jose, and we got the number one record. And boomboxes were big back then, and uh, students would carry them around in between class. And this one guy had uh, a huge one, and it was pretty cool. And I'm loving what he's playing because he's on the radio station and it's our single and it just went to number one. So I came up to him and I said, man, that's my band. That's me playing drums. And he said, fuck me. <laughs> yeah, <that>. sure. <laughs> I said, no, no, that's really us. Flip me the bird. I said, oh, man. You know, there's, there we, we finally make it and people just, you know, think that I'm telling them a lie. <laughs> we uh, uh, reinvested every dime. We didn't, Go work on our cars. We're not a, a big part of our life. Yeah. But what it what it, it did a couple of things. It gave us a, a renewed uh, source of energy and belief in, in the project. Hey, woo, we came really close. We were number one in markets uh, that had you know thousands, of, tens of thousands of people, and we heard it on the radio. So that was a pretty uh, important thing for us. But back to the original question, we didn't do a lot of jamming because we didn't have. Tom had a job and family, and uh, you know we all had. And we were in school and whatnot, so we had to, you know, plan our uh, our timing out. And there wasn't a lot of jams. I guess and there was some, but we would have have a song ready to learn and we spend our time rehearsing for for the studio. So everything was kind of set up for the studio. That was like our gig. So you said this was the Gollywog space, and I was curious who who came up with that name, and was there some? Did it did it mean anything? Where did that, it come from? It meant bullshit. Uh, <laughs> it was the, the name was stupid, uh, and the reason for it was even uh, the uniforms were absolutely ridiculous. Saul Weiss, the owner of Fantasy Records at the time, a beatnik, uh, and he always he would kept, he would always tell us when we come in to record on their three-track machine, because they had a four-track and one-track that never worked. He said, you have to have a gimmick. You have to have a gimmick. He said, well, how about a, you know, <laughs> a, a hit song? You know, we, That was a constant argument. And uh, the only reason they had a rock and roll band is they, you know, they said, jazz doesn't sell well. Rock and roll, well, we, we can make money. So their whole plan was just to make money off it. Nothing spared, including uh, complete idiocy with these Uniforms, white Cossack hats, paisley uh, <laughs> shirt, green suede vest, and patchwork pants. I, I could do not. And uh, <laughs> Gollywogs were Af South African dolls that, that were popular at the turn of the century in England. I don't think there are, there are too many Englishmen you could stop on the street and say, ask him what a Gollywog was, and he could tell you. Amazing. But it didn't last. It didn't last too long. The name. Well, uh, fortunately, uh, it, any anything was too long, even a day. But uh, we, we we won that battle and, and uh, never never looked back. Who came up with the idea? Okay, we have to. We've got to change our name. And then all of a sudden, you come up with Credence Clearwater Revival. <laughs> yeah. Do those three words mean anything when you put them together? What? The yeah. Yeah, there 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 was meaning and uh, innuendo involved. Uh, Always innuendo. Uh, we, we 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 knew what we had to change our name, and that was you know the time for odd names and different names because of what was happening in San Francisco, Jefferson Airplane, and uh, 
wake up bed and silver messenger singer. And also, the longer the name, the more print we got in the newspaper. <laughs> True. Smart. But That's my very wise. So that you bring up a number of bands, and they, as we talked about, you weren't really jamming. All these other San Francisco bands were jam bands. You guys were tight. I mean, you 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 were you wrote these three minutes pop songs, but they were it was rock and roll, but it was. You know, I I think you guys were as ro- yeah you were as rock as any uh, you know as the dead, if not more, but what, but what, it was a different I I don't know it seems like a, it was not a San Francisco sound for sure right <laughs> oh no no it was a, it was an East Bay blue collar sound rooted on the blues you had Richmond California primarily a, a black uh, population there with a, a huge shipyard that was. Uh, Brought a lot of people from the south to the to the Bay Area to work on, on the ships in World War II, and so when they they came from the south, they liked it in California, and they decided to stay. But the cool thing and contribution that they made is they brought their music with them. So we were hearing real blues, not not, not the slick kind of slick down. Yeah. Like Jimmy Reed and. Alan Wolf, really raw meat and potatoes for sure. And the same with the, the country thing. We, we liked uh, Buck Owens and what was ha- happening down in Bakersfield because it had a beat to it and, and a little bit more wild than the, the stuff ha- happening in Tennessee. So that was all part of the, uh, of the blueprint that made up. So you have rural and, and urban blues and we're listening to it on the radio. And not too many places, certainly around big cities at that time, had such a diverse uh, radio uh, play. It's a good, you, you point out, Dave, it's a good, it's such a great combination because it was it was rock, it was pop, it was, sing, you know, sing-along, you know, and yeah. just all those great elements together. Well, it was just like those sing- singles that when we were listening to Top 40 Radio, uh, and it was a, it was a wide open uh, plate that they had. Uh, you could hear Percy Faith and his orchestra, and then on the next track, it's James Brown, and then after that, it's the Flying Nun or Singing Nun. <laughs> so I mean, that that's a pretty wide variety for sure. But the, but the one thing they did have in common was they were three and a half minute songs, mm-hmm. and that's what we like. Uh, kind of the blueprint for. What we want. If the song comes on, you know, you play it, reverse it a couple of times, and of course, maybe three times, and you, you said everything that you're going to say in the song, out you go. <laughs> okay, so we're uh, enjoying our talk with Doug Cosmo Clifford of CCR. We're going to take a break right now. We'll be right back. listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast with Doug Cosmo Clifford from the legendary Creedence Clearwater Revival. So what you did, so you started as a, as a recording band, but you're touring eventually on, on well, all the songs. How did, yeah. Yeah, and uh, once, once we had uh, uh, Brown Eyed Girl, uh, another thing that uh, benefited us was that uh, the gig money was about four times, what it, about four to five times more mm-hmm. than it was before. So, that enabled us to, you know, continue to add to the equipment that we needed, pay, you know, pay the gas in Tom's car, and, and we did have gigs along the, the California Delta, so that that really helped us, you know. And, and when we decided to be full-time musicians, we played in bars up in that air area. Yeah. People were, were familiar with us, and that helped too. We used Tom's credit cards and the late fell at second sheriff's morning. We put a little money on it and then uh, wrote to the next card. We were struggling. That's yeah. no way to live. You've got to make it. <laughs> but, but, you know, you look back at it and, and you, you forget about the, the, the reality of being broke and what, what that can do to you. But, uh, well, I guess a lot of people are finding that out right now as we speak with what's going on in the real world. But anyway, uh, uh, that, that was helpful for us. There were bands, we were, we were playing six nights a week, five sets a night. And so uh, our competition was uh, a band called Sparrow and then a, a, another one called The New Breed. And we became friends with those guys, but it was kind of friendly competition. You know, we, 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 we all knew we were good. They were good. We were good. The other guys were good. And so we were competing a bar situation. Sparrow was uh, John Kay in Steppenwolf. And the new breed ended up being was Timothy B. Schmidt on bass, who was then with the Eagles. Out of, out of that group of guys, uh, there was some talent. Yeah, but okay, so where the magic happened, I guess maybe it was Tom who had this discipline for teaching you guys studio tricks or how to pump out these hits because. Was it five albums in like what was it three five albums in three years or something like that from from sixty eight to seventy? A lot of critics like to cite the the five album cycle. Like if they if you could put out five 
classic albums. You're one of the top bands of all time. You know, I don't even think it is sealed. Yeah. I mean, even the stones weren't able to do this, you know, I don't, you know, Bob Dylan, possibly four four great albums in a row, but Credence in three years, the Beatles obviously did this. And you know, a lot of others, what was it like in the studio during those three years? Was you, was it just like, get in, get out, or let's, let's one take two takes. How many? We, we had more one takes than any band. I, I, I know I've talked to you guys about it. Um, it had to be 80, 85%, maybe even more than that, the first thing. The way it worked, John's theory was that if we're ever off the charts, we'll be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Those are the exact words. When I asked him, you know, why, the, why, the, why the pace? And I said, well, I don't know about that, but every band that I know that, that is popular will put out a record and a single and then go out and tour and they're off the charts for to be a year, and you come back with a good single and a good good album, and boom, they're right back at the top of the charts. But anyway, I didn't get. I was just trying to you know make sense of it, right? So that, but that yeah. that was the feeling at at the time, especially of a lot of pop artists, is and especially and even now, right. like you gone and for, you know out of sight, out of mind. I I can completely understand the thinking, but I mean. It was good that you guys were doing this because the, every these albums are all. If every album sounds like a greatest hits album, you know. <laughs> Another thing that you should never do is put a single out in front of your album. But so when people want to buy the album and get the single that way, you lose that opportunity in the, in the marketplace. We and you know we were well rehearsed. We 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 went in with the exact album. We didn't go in with fifteen songs. And picked the ten best. We went in with the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, every song was going to be the song that was going to be in the record sleeve in the stores. Uh, that's how we did it. And we rehearsed, rehearsed, rehearsed. When we when we had a chance to finally do it for real, but you get the added that spark of the adrenaline. You mix into any of those songs, it's going to come out smoking. And it did. <laughs> this is the 50th anniversary of Cosmos Factory. The, yeah. fr- the first song is is Ramble Tamble. Right. Not a big hit, but no. uh, possibly one of Credence's best effort. I, I mean, just musically, it is it is phenomenal. I, I, I was listening to it yesterday. I'm just like, this is so amazing. <laughs> what, a, what a great, this sounds like a band that's been together forever. And they're just loving this, you know, creating this, this sound. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's like a book in a, in a sense. You know, and each a piece of music has is a chapter. Not a lot of fooling around with that thing. I mean, it was, the, the timing in it, that thing had to be just perfect coming up and down uh, and, and back. And in those days, uh, if the drums made a mistake, you couldn't punch, go back and punch, punch the drums in. It just was technically not feasible. I always had that added pressure, but we were and no no uh, drugs, no alcohol, zero, not a not a beer, really? no room, wow. nothing. But we did drink a lot of coffee though. That <laughs> was your we drug of choice. Coffee. coffee was your drug of choice. We liked our we liked our folders, I'll tell you that. <laughs> that song is seven minutes long. <laughs> yeah, it's that's epic for Creedence. Yeah, yeah, that's an epic. And also maybe, you know, you know, pressure on John to, uh, as a songwriter. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, 
getting a, a shingle out or yeah, yeah, eight minutes. Right? That's two and a half shingles. So he doesn't have to come up with as a writer. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, he wrote pretty fast anyway. I mean, he gets credit for that. Yeah. But, uh, uh, there was eight minutes that, you know, he can fill with a nice piece of music that we can all be proud of, uh, but with absolutely no intention of it being a single or doing what a single would do. That, that was part of it, you know. We, we do longer cuts. Uh, we just don't. Uh, you know, we got picked on because we had hit singles by our people. So, and the last laughs are pretty good. Well, b- besides John's classic songs, there's a few. Yeah. There's a number of of cover songs on here. What was the process on? Yeah. How did uh, Credence decide what songs to cover? We did eleven or twelve. Most of it was just paying homage to people that we uh, that helped us in our career, whether we had ever met them or not. You asked the process by which they were chosen. When we were looking for put albums together, we would jam two, three hours a day in, in those periods. More than likely, it would come up in, in one of those jams. All right, so now you're house cleaning <laughs> one day, and what what happened? Yeah. And what, what do you discover? As we all discover, like <laughs> I discovered uh, in my studio my uh, master reel. Uh, the quarter inch tape, that's usually the, the master reel when you mix down from multi-track into a stereo two-track. That's the, the, the finished part of the, of the, the record. So I, I found the, the one tape and I thought, you know, I know that I have a lot of finished uh, songs uh, that I write. When I write a song, I usually wait until I have a, an album's worth or at least no less than four. And uh, then I record them with guys, or I would record these things as if they were going to be masters. You had actually forgotten about this music, and you came across it. And I read, I read that it was a hundred songs. It's about that many total. <laughs> now, what happened once I, I discovered this upstairs? I, I, I started remembering. There's a locker in the garage that I, I have music stuff. And so I'll bet those reels are in there. In fact, I have a feeling, uh, or even maybe a distant memory, that there's more to be had in that locker. So I went down, spin up, that's where I found it. The uh, best uh, musical project I've had in my career. Uh, because I'm not, I'm not just a drummer. Mm-hmm. I'm a singer. I'm a songwriter. Decide of all these songs what you want to end up on this album. Well, a couple of things: you get uh, something to listen to where you have all the all the songs involved, and you're, you're just so at a random uh, order. You play those a couple of times, and, uh, and you live with that 
for about oh a week, maybe even two, because you don't, you know, you you want to be right. Did you always want to call it Magic Window? Was that was it obvious to you that this was going to be the title of the album when you heard this song again? Well, you know, I wasn't even thinking about putting it out as, as an album that was thirty five years ago. So. Who knows what I'm right. Well, that's the other thing. This was so long ago. You know, it must be. It's like looking through a diary. I would imagine. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I did like the song, and it's one of the one of the longest songs, if not the longest song I, I wrote with, with with Robbie. Right now, I want the world to hear it. the idea of uh, Magic Window. I like the, the title got, got the juices going. I, I thought it was a really cool, painted a, an inter- interesting picture, uh, or many. And, uh, you know, it's got a, a good solid uh, power groove, not, not at uh, high tempos, but kind of, you know, uh, grinding. Uh, somebody recently said it was like uh, Bad company. I thought lyrically uh, there are some things in there that adds a little spookiness to it. I also read that you had recorded it in uh, Lake Tahoe. Well, that's that's why the the, the name uh, that was the inspiration. Yeah. That's what I that's what I pictured. That's one of my favorite places. Well, the, our house was a thousand feet above the lake, so we had a magnificent view, seventy miles each direction, mm. and uh, and the lake is in the center of it. So. Uh, that, yeah, that's 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 the magic window, and it's a good one to sit uh, out gazing uh, at it and uh, sort of recharging your your battery sometimes. Apparently, you this is this is we're promoting this through a podcast. Normally, you would promote it by by touring and playing, but I I've heard that you were possibly retiring. Is this true? Are you are you leaving the stage? I mean, from live, no, from, not from not, not this not this mortal plane, but you're leaving the the. Uh, Everybody's on the stage now, and who knows how long that's going to last. That's uh, true. Pandemic. I'm not going to go out and, 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 and tour. My body's beat. I, uh, I have some surgeries that affect my singing. I've got Parkinson's creeping into the picture. So, mm. uh, but are you able you, to you play regularly? Can you do you play for fun regularly? Well, sure, I do. Uh, I have, that's just part of my routine. What do you think you're going to miss most about not being on stage anymore? Is it uh, the audience, the interaction with musicians? All of the above. Uh, the rush you get from the, the audience. I mean, that's 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 a, a legal drug, and it's the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Being with the guys that are making that happen, 
uh, at that moment. You know, it's, it's time to move on. In 75, uh, I played rock games for 56 years. I'm having a blast doing this. There's a new sheriff in town, and I've got a, uh, an album I'm really proud of, and I think there's a lot of good, good positive that can come out of it, and I think right now is what we're going through. And outside of these windows, it's good to have some, some, some positive songs. It's been fun for us to listen to, that's for sure. It was a, really nice to hear this. Thank you for releasing it. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for your time. This was really wonderful. And um, yeah, the, the album is Magic Window. It's available. It's streaming. You, you could, can we actually buy a physical copy of this? You can buy a, a, a copy any, anywhere. iTunes, Amazon, all of, the, of those outlets. Uh, you, can, you can get it there. You can get it at my website, DougCosmoClifton.com as well. Vinyl? Can we get a vinyl copy? Not yet. I'm going to wait and see how this one does. Okay. The business, the business part of it. Uh, it's got to perform and, and at, a, at a certain level. And you achieved that with all you talked about, but vinyl and CD. That's great. All right. Well, thanks so much, Doug. Cosmo? <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for spending the time with us. I'm glad I was able to... Uh, Spence, I'm sorry about the time I, uh, we, we, we moved as fast as we could on that. that that's all right. Yeah. You're doing great. Looking good. Stay healthy, please. We need you. <laughs> yes. There you go. Oh. Nice. There's our, there, there's our promotional oh. shot. You brought, Thank you. Bring in the gun show. Good job. Okay, so that was our talk with Doug Cosmo Clifford. His album Magic Window is out now. We're going to post this on our website, WDDIMPodcast.com. We will post it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. What's the what's the code? What's the uh, the initials? WDDIM Podcast. For what difference does it make? So until next time, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.